Turn with me to two places. Joshua chapter 1, Old Testament, and Revelation chapter 3. Joshua chapter 1, Revelation chapter 3. Again, if you're visiting, we're in the book of Nehemiah, but not today, as my friend Sam's coming next week, and I just want to do chapter 8 in succession because it's, uh, uh, we're not going to be able to cover it in one Sunday, but I want to make sure that we're kind of following stepping stones, if you will, in chapter 8. But the uh, Lord put this message on my heart several weeks ago, and as I was out of town thinking through some of these things, it kind of finalized, and so here it is, Joshua chapter 1. Two passages you, you've probably heard numerous times in your life, but let's see how they kind of are complementary of one another. Joshua 1, starting with verse 6. Joshua 1, starting verse 6. Again, hold your place with Revelation 3. And, and once you do, hold both places because we might look back at them for just a sec. Joshua 1, verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. For this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do all according, uh, according to the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Isn't that a good promise? God says, I'm going to give you a command, and this command is that you'll prosper. Lord, I don't know if I want to prosper. You're commanding me. Okay, let's look, move on. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Uh, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, not requested, commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isn't that a good promise? God's like, I want you to ignore everything. Don't look right. Don't look left. Be like a racehorse on the Kentucky Derby. Put blinders on and look straight forward. Revelation chapter 3. Now, this was the Lord speaking to Joshua. And then over in Revelation 3, this is Jesus speaking. Letter to the churches, the churches of Asia, modern-day Turkey. Picking it up with verse 14, Revelation chapter 3, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, these things says, now listen to the name of Jesus here. If you're wondering, I wonder if, I wonder if this message is going to have a whole lot of truth to it. Listen to what Jesus says of himself. The amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Jesus says, my name is faithful and true. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, so that because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. By the way, these are one of the statements of Jesus that very few people are aware that he said. For the most part, people quote a lot of verses that, uh, that speak to kind of one facet of Jesus. But this is pretty strong language from him, wouldn't you say? Because you say I'm rich 
have become wealthy, need of nothing. This is a great description of America, by the way. Richest nation on earth. We have so much ingenuity, talent, technology, all this kind of stuff. We don't need much. We have need of nothing. Do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. This is Jesus speaking. This is not uh, one of the prophets. This is not an apostle. This is Jesus himself assessing the state of a people that look like they're in great shape. I counsel to you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not uh, be revealed, that anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke. Do you like when God rebukes you? I do. Because I get it a lot and need it. I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous, vigilant to repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, keep your fingers in both places. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again just to gather and that you are faithful and true. As you spoke to and through Joshua, as you spoke to the churches, you're still speaking these thousands of years later to us. These messages still ring out. And Lord, we pray that we would hear them by the Spirit exactly what you want to hear. Remove me from the equation that we would hear Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Joshua in the Old Testament, you guys are all familiar that Moses came first and then Joshua took over for Moses, right? Joshua is a picture of Jesus. Matter of fact, his name, Yahshua, in the New Testament, Yeshua. Joshua was a picture of Jesus. Like Christ, he was raised up, not from the dead, but he was raised up for the purpose of securing victory for the people. Jesus was raised to secure our victory. He was to bring them from wandering. Remember, 40 years they wandered. Joshua was to bring them from wandering to becoming rooted and established. No more wandering and going in circles, but to actually get planted and to grow. From desert heat and dryness to a land which the Bible said was flowing with milk and honey. First time I heard that as a kid, I, I had this picture of my honey just wafting through the land and milk, like, like, like the rivers are milk, it looked like candy land or something like that in my mind. When you're a kid, you hear that, you're like, what? Well, I've never seen rivers of honey. I've never seen rivers of milk and stuff like that. But we know that where there's flowering plants, then there can be honey. When there's greenery, when there's lush vegetation, then you actually have cows that produce a lot of milk. At that time, Israel was lush, much different than it was in 1948 when it re-became a nation, although it's blooming again. It wasn't, it, even today, it's not like it was then. It called, God said then it was like the garden of the Lord. That was the promised land. You see the passage under Moses through the Red Sea. The Red Sea was a picture of salvation. That was a salvation picture. That, of course, only comes through Christ too. But the entrance from the desert to the promised land is a picture of moving from being saved and, and just, wow, I'm saved, 
from certain death and certain judgment into the abundant life of the Holy Spirit, into the abundant life. Jesus said that when the Spirit is present in control of our lives, out of us would flow rivers of living water. Did you know that? Out of us would flow. Now, we don't bring anything good to the table, so we know it's all of him. The promised land was a place of flowing rivers and brooks and streams that, flour- that caused the land to flourish. And Jesus also said that those who abide in him that are fed by the Spirit, is your life being fed by the Spirit? Well, I come to church once a week. No, that's probably not enough to be fed by the Spirit. Is it being fed by the Spirit? But if it is, would it flourish not just some fruit, but Jesus said much fruit. He said our lives would flourish and we'd produce much fruit. Are you producing much fruit? Joshua says to the children of Israel that they must remain courageous and obedient. By the way, those two things come in conflict to each other sometimes, don't they? Obedient and courageous are like, uh, which one can I do here? By the way, obedience is courage. Obedience is courage. It's also faith. In other words, if, if Joshua is saying, you're going to have to ignore the seeming odds in the world's favor. Remember, originally, ten spies said, these people will slaughter us. They're giants. They're this, they're that. Two, Caleb and Joshua had a different spirit. They said, God says we can do it, we can do it. They're like David and Goliath. Dave was the only one thinking, everybody else petrified. Joshua says, you're going to have to ignore the seeming odds of the world. You're going to have to ignore the world's intimidation. It's pressures. You're going to have to resist the distractions and the temptations. Don't turn to the right, don't turn to the left, because there's a lot of temptations. Do you think we have a lot of distractions today? Oh, yeah. Distractions, temptations, intimidation. He said, I want you, in verse 8, to meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. Guess what that time means? All the time. That pretty much sums up. Uh, when Joshua, did you want day or night? Both. You're going to need both. You need to stay meditating on the Lord. And if they did, here's what God says. You will prosper and have great success. That seems like a pretty good offer to me. How about you? You meditate on me. You be obedient. You be courageous. You're going to prosper and have great success. As God defines success. Spiritual success. Jesus promises some equally valuable blessings over in Revelation 3. He said, I'll give you refined gold. Refined gold. Riches from the hand of Christ, as he defines them. Spiritual garments of white. Clean. Nothing on them. He said, I'll have you dine with me. You'll prepare a table in the presence of your enemies even. I'll have you dine with me. You'll be an overcomer. Jesus said, these are my promises to you Laodiceans, and not just them, but all members of the body of Christ around the world. Like Israel under Joshua, Jesus was speaking of present blessing. Yes, there's blessing to come, but he was speaking of present tense. Only the end of verse, only the end of the uh, uh, word to the Laodiceans, verse 21, is a future state. 
although the present state would also be included in the future state, but 20, verse 21 is exclusive when you sit on the throne with him, that's future state. But the promise to the land of Israel and to the spirit-filled life today represent not only the immense blessings of God, but it also presents to us God's express will for our life, his express desire for our life. These are not requests on the part of God. These are not requests from Jesus to the church. They are commands, but they're given with love, aren't they? Those whom I love, Jesus said. God says, I want to prosper you. These are not commands of, I can't stand you, so you better do this. They're commands of love, but they are with conditional outcomes. They're commands with conditional outcomes. Think about it like this. If you're a good parent and you command your kids, you don't ask them, you're commanding them. You say, you cannot do drugs. Is that done in love or you just want to, you want to like, you want to rob them of a good time? No, because you know they could do it once. I, when, I was, um, when I was in high school, I grew up in, outside the D.C. Beltway area. My favorite basketball player is Lenny Bias. He got drafted in the NBA draft. He partied with cocaine and he died that very night. That very night. Literally, I had tears running down my face because he was my favorite player. I grew up right down the street from where I used to play with some of the same guys. And when he died by partying with cocaine, if his parents had told him, do not ever, I mean ever, ever do it, and your way will prosper. Oh, they're just trying to rob me from a good time. No. God says, I don't want you to do this, but I do want you to do this, and if you follow my command, you'll be blessed in it. Take a look at this. Um, this is kind of like a little chart of how, how, the, how the Word of God works or the will of God. The loving command, God gives us these commands. We have choice. Obey, reject. We obey, well, we have blessings. We reject, there's consequences. When I tell my kids these are things that we don't tolerate, I am telling them as a command, but also a loving request. But there's consequences. Now, we, a lot of times in the Christian life, we don't always use the word reject for some things. We like to come up with other words. I'm waiting a bit. I'm thinking it over. I'm considering things. I'm praying about it. Well, we can spiritualize disobedience, can't we? We'll even lie to people. We're praying about it. We're not even praying about it anyway. Hey, I want you to come to the prayer meeting. God, I'm praying about that. Uh, what? It's a prayer meeting. <laughs> you're praying about whether you should come to the prayer meeting? If you're often available, God says just come. My house will be a house, called a house of prayer. I mean, these are things. I mean, but all the, through the, God says these are the things. You do these things I'm going to bless. We like to change the words. Both Joshua and Jesus, they address both sides of the ledger. The blessings for sure. Oh, sorry, we go back one. We'll come back then. Uh, Jesus addresses both sides of the ledger. Joshua, he warns of the conditions to come in Joshua's chapter 23 and 24. Um, he talks about the fact, uh, verse 11 of chapter 23, 
Uh, we didn't turn there, but I'm reading too. Uh, he says, therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God, or else if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnants of these nations that remain among you, know for certain, verse 13, that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations. You sh they shall become snares and traps and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this land which God has given you. Strong language that God says to Joshua, hey, make sure that they understand, if they follow in my ways, blessing. If they don't, hailstones, if you will. It's not, God says it's not worth it. I'm telling you, this is, what, this is what's going to bless you. I will allow you to lie down in green pastures. Jesus talks about uh, the warnings on the other side of the ledger, too. He says, uh, I'll vomit you out of my mouth if you're not going to follow me, if you're instead going to create a whole new christian East culture that leaves me out. He's like, I'm on the outside knocking. Did you, did you catch that? He said, I'm on the outside. I'm outside the church knocking. He said, if you want my blessing, I need to come in and take over. This church doesn't belong to me. I am so replaceable. I'm as replaceable as this wooden pulpit. But Jesus is not replaceable, amen? And obedience to him isn't replaceable. We can't substitute it with these other things. We can't say, well, you know, I, I, I'll just take my time. I'll think about it. Maybe next year, maybe 10 years from now, I'll go all in for the Lord. So they had become passionate about the things of Laodicea, just like many Americans, we've become passionate about the things of this culture, but not really passionate about Jesus. And unless we're passionate about him, we won't stay in the word, and we won't stay in the will, and we won't stay filled with the Holy Spirit. So what's the holdup? What's the holdup with us, with you know, coming up with these kind of answers when we know what Jesus is calling us to? What's the holdup? How is there any delay in our moving forward when God the Father and God the Son have said, I will bless you immensely? You might, by the way, I have never had Warren Buffett pick up the phone and call me and say, hey, I want to bless you immensely. <laughs> I don't know you, but I know the guy who created Warren Buffett, who's giving his heartbeats right now. And he says, I want to bless you. Does that not a little bit fire you up with a good, wow, God's for me? God is on the other end of the phone saying, I'm ready to bless you. Are you going to surrender it all? Warren Buffett won't be calling, but Jesus is calling, isn't he? What's the holdup? Uh, we, don't, we don't verbalize it this way. We don't normally tell other people, I just don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. So we come up with these other words. We don't tell Jesus that. We kind of, we kind of ignore the whole, the Lord's saying, open the word. We just act like we're really busy. Get on your knees and pray. Share your faith with that person. Get in fellowship. Start to gather other believers. Here's the issue, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately. We have an incredibly hard time, we as human beings, we have an incredibly hard time between the things we can see with our eyes and the things we feel and the things we want versus what God has actually said. Did you catch that? 
We have an incredibly, all of us in this room, if you're human, you have the same problem. You, we have an incredibly hard time rectifying what we can see, what we can feel, feelings and physical feeling, physical touch, what we can see, what we can feel, and what we want versus what God said, what he says in his word. You see, it comes down to belief. Do we believe God or do we believe ourselves and our circumstances? Do we believe God who we can't see but know he's true or do we believe ourselves and our circumstances? The original tactic of Satan, this is what it was, the original tactic, hath God said? And then he said, Eve, you can see that good tree right there. See it? See it? Touch it. Touch the fruit. Don't worry about what God said. Go with what you can see. Huge mistake. Brother and sister, listen to what God is saying. Jesus said, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches, not what you can see, what he's saying. Did you catch that? Jesus said, hear what the Spirit is saying. It's the word versus our eyes. It's the word versus our eyes. It's the word versus our flesh. It's the word versus our wants. It's the word versus our... And you want to cling to what God says. Amen? I mean, you want to cling to what he says. If you're taking notes, it's the title, What If I... It depends on what, you're, what God's speaking to you in your life. What if I don't? What if I delay? What if I wait 10 years? What if you don't have 10 years? See, the arrogance is we, we have an answer that doesn't fit omniscience. We don't really know anything else, so the only answer we really have is, yes, Lord. But, but a lot of times we come up with other words, other answers. Give me time. I'll wait. Do this. Do that. But I'm glad that Jesus gently rebukes me into saying, what did I say? I was reading just this morning in Isaiah chapter 12. Therefore, with joy, uh, there with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And that day you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the people. Sing to the Lord, for he's done an excellent thing. Do you know everything that says? It doesn't tell me to think if I feel like doing any of those things. He told me to get up here and declare his word. He told me to sing. There's, you know there's a lot of times I don't feel like singing. Am I the only one? There's many times I do not feel like praising and do not feel like singing. Guess what happens when I do? God changes me, not the other way around. God doesn't get changed, but I get changed. I'm like, why did I wait so long to praise? Because a lot of times we want to be mad about something. We want to be upset about something. We want to be disturbed about something. We want to get somebody else upset so we can get even or whatever else it is or we do something we want. And God says, none of that will satisfy you. Before we enter into communion, Lord's Supper, I just want to provoke your mind and spirit into the absolute trustworthiness of God. The absolute trustworthiness of God. To have us lay aside all of our doubts, all of our delays, all of our distractions, all of our defeats, all of our desires, and say, yes, Lord, I surrender all. Please come, Lord. Please take full control. I'll trust you, Lord, and, and take courage. Some of you need courage here this morning. 
I've needed courage so many times this year, I can't count the number of times. You know, some of you guys went and saw Chad Williams, Navy SEAL. You know, I'm impressed with the SEALs. I love what they do. But sometimes the Christian life is harder. Certain aspects of it can be. You know, and he now knows that because now he's a believer. Now he's, he, he, some of you guys heard him talk about that. The enemy wants us, here's what the enemy wants you to do. Stall and hold out on God. Stall and hold out. Like the Laodiceans, just give God a third of your time, of kind of your spirit. Stall and hold out. Compromise. Give God a substitute. Give him something else just long enough. Here's what the enemy wants. Just long enough to completely take us out or take us apart. Take us out or take us apart. Just like Samson, he, he refused to be fully obedient to God, and he ends up, how'd you like your eyes gouged out? All your strength gone. And God's like, it didn't have, do you realize it didn't have to be that way? Do you realize he could have had an amazing ministry for many years, strongest man on earth, proclaiming God, never have his eyes gouged out, never ha have the humiliation. Yes, he finished well in the end, but there was a lot of wasted time in between, wasn't there? More than, more than just wasted. It was horrific. Can't even imagine it. He ended up a shell of what God called him to be. I don't want you, I don't want me to be a shell of what God's called us to be. Two things to look at briefly before we enter into communion. Uh, Got ahead of myself there. The first one, thoughts we think. Jesus, again, is not asking you and me, like, like he told the children of Israel in the book of Joshua, Jesus is not asking you and me to go fight a physical bloody battle with swords and spears and bow and arrows. He is asking us to abide in him. His command, it's not a request. When he says in John 15, abide in me, you'll bear much fruit, he's saying, children, abide. So it would be like your kids. Uh, we were up in Washington, D.C. not long ago, and if you've ever been to New York City, um, you know that funny elf movie where uh, Buddy Elf says the yellow ones don't stop the cabs, right? If you had a toddler, you, when you tell them, stay right here, you mean it. You don't want them running out into a city that has traffic going every which way, right? And when Jesus says, abide and stay at my side, he's telling you this is for your own good. He's not telling us to go fight a literal bloody battle, but he is saying, abide in me. Stay in the word with me. Stay in prayer with me. Go to church with me. Fall more in love with me. Tell others about me. Resist the flesh. Be generous in me. Be a light in this world. Forgive someone for my name's sake. Be humbled. Some of us need to be humbled. It's good to be humbled. We don't always like being humble, but it's good for us to be humble. In all of it, Jesus says, you'll be blessed and refreshed. Really? By being surrendered and kind of vulnerable like that? Yes. We'll be refreshed. Don't try and figure it all out. Just be a blessing to God, and God will make you finally understand it all on the inside. But what comes into our minds when the Lord is calling us to full surrender? What comes in our mind? When he's calling us into deeper waters of obedience, deeper waters of his grace, when the Spirit is saying, take that step, open that door, open that book. Just believe me. 
Don't worry about the odds against you. Just believe. Maybe like the children of Israel in the desert, we think like probably they thought, I just don't see how this can work. I just don't see how me uh, spending more time in prayer and more in the Word is going to fix. This problem's way big. You don't understand. I don't see how that's going to work. Maybe we say, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week. I'll do this instead. It's easier. It's more my style. What Jesus is calling is a little bit difficult. And besides, what I'm offering back to him is still pretty spiritual. Still pretty spiritual stuff I'm going to give back. I'm going to listen to Hillsong on my iPod and whatever else, and that's going to be my offering back. I'm not against that. I'm just saying God's asking something else. Maybe it's laziness. Our heart and mind wants to follow the footsteps and commands of Christ, but we're comfortable, and we want to exert the effort. We've become too at ease. It's amazing to me that we find tremendous amount of effort to give to education, careers, entertainment, sports, leisure, hobbies, home projects. The list goes on and on and on. In and of themselves, I didn't say those are sins, but none are eternal. And none qualify as seek first the kingdom of God, which Jesus told us to do. None of those qualify as that. The priority Jesus gave, maybe, um, maybe it's just excuses that we give. I was reading this, uh, Chuck Swindoll, Pastor Chuck Swindoll, in uh, his book, uh, Come Before Winter, he said, can't and won't. Christians need to be careful which one they choose. It seems we prefer the word can't. I just can't get along with my wife. My husband and I can't communicate. I can't discipline the kids like I should. I can't give up this affair I'm having. I can't stop overeating. I can't find the time to pray. I can't stop gossiping. No, any Christian who takes the Scripture seriously will have to confess the word should really be won't. Why? Because we've been given the power, by the Holy Spirit, by the way, to overcome. Jesus said you'll be overcomers, Revelation 3. Literally, he said one of the best books you can read about overcoming depression is a splendid work by uh, Christian psychologists Frank Minnereth and Paul Meyer uh, called Happiness is a Choice. And, that, and, the, and the authors, uh, Paul and uh, Frank, said, we cringe when Christians use the word can't. I can't, I've tried, are merely lame excuses when we insist that they be honest with themselves and use language that expresses the reality of their situation so they have to change the can'ts to won'ts. If an individual changes his can'ts to won'ts, he stops avoiding the truth and quits deceiving himself. Jesus said, don't deceive yourselves. Being hearers but not doers. Hearers but not doers. Deceiving yourself. And, and he goes on and starts, he says, this, the reality starts by saying, I won't get along with my wife. My husband and I won't communicate. I won't discipline the kids. I won't give up the fare. I won't stop overeating. I won't find the time to pray. I won't quit gossiping. And there's power when we admit, isn't it? And all of a sudden we're like, all right, Lord, I'm going to stop putting on these fig leaves and be honest with you. I don't want to give this up. I don't want to do it. I don't want to live a spirit-filled life. I want to live a worldly kind of one foot in, one foot out. That's for the Laodiceans. But it's really good to just be honest, isn't it? Say, God, this is, what, this is where I'm really, really at. Maybe what Christ is asking you brings fear. 
Maybe, literally, maybe what, what God is asking you to do. Trust me, I know. He called me to be a pastor. It's frightened me many times. A, I'll have to give an account someday of everything that I've ever done as a role of a shepherd. That's, that's frightening enough as it is. But just many other things. I know, you know, being a parent for the first time, lots of things in life will frighten us. You might have phobias that you never had. They came out of nowhere. I, I can relate to some of those things. Maybe it's fear. Say, the things Jesus has asked me to do brings fear into my mind. You're not alone. Israel spent 40 years in the desert because they bowed to fear rather than the will of God. They bowed to fear. They were afraid of the people in the promised land. So they said, no, we'll stay here. We'll stay in partial misery because we're afraid. Understand that fear can be healthy or unhealthy. A healthy fear of the Lord gives us confidence and courage, doesn't it? A healthy fear of God gives us confidence and courage. God's like a bolt of lightning to our systems, gives us energy to move forward, to, to, to follow his commands. But fears, they can be rational or completely irrational. I guarantee some people in here have some irrational fears. They don't know why. They wish they'd be gone. And some of them are rational and some of them are irrational. Someone's pointing a gun at my head, that's pretty rational. Some things are irrational. But again, it doesn't matter if they're rational or irrational. It doesn't matter if they're based on past experience, present experience, or no experience at all. Satan, whose name in Hebrew means adversary. Satan's name means adversary. He uses fear and the weakness of our flesh to try and steer us away from the will of God, to steer us away from the steps of faith and obedience. Satan uses fear like... Don't, uh, this, this kind of stuff he says. He reinforces your fears by saying things like, if you do this, you'll be miserable. If you follow the Lord all the way, you'll be miserable. You'll be absolutely miserable. He'll say, you'll fail. You'll fail at that. Don't even worry. You will fail anyway. Like you've always failed. You'll fail anyway. You'll lose all your friends and you'll lose your job if you start living for the Lord. Your kids will hate you. So just compromise, 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 because your kids will hate you. That's a lie, by the way. I'll never have any free time for me after this. Jesus said, I'll bless you. God says, back to what we can see, what we can feel, what we experience versus what God says. I'll no longer have any fun. He'll send me to Asia as a missionary. Right? Maybe Asia is your promised land. Maybe every fear you had would be gone if you went there, if he sent you there. Instead, you can stay imprisoned in beautiful America. I'm not saying he sent you to Asia. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that what, what if what God was going to do would, would satisfy every thirst in your life and we're sitting here clinging like children of Israel into the desert saying, don't send us into rivers of milk and honey. We want to stay here in the desert with scorpions. There's scorpions in the desert, rattlesnakes in the desert. This is awesome. <laughs> but, that's the, but Satan, he convinces us. They even were saying, we want to go back to Egypt where the food was good. What? You were slaves in Egypt. You want to go back? Your food was not good there. You're now lying to yourselves on top of it all. 
Our flesh automatically does not think. Our flesh does not have this response. This is not our flesh's response. Our flesh does not say, whatever Jesus asks, I'll be pleasing Christ, and I'll be walking in his grace, peace, and power. Satan won't tell you that. Your flesh won't tell you that. But if you open the word, it'll tell you that. And that'll be your answer. Because you're like, I don't know what to say. Just say back what God says. Even though that is true, and the other stuff's a lie. Psalm 119, great peace have those that love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. Those who what? Love your law. Not know it? Love it. Love it. Learn to love the law of God, which is the word of God. By the way, some of Satan's hints and possibilities could happen. Yes, you might lose some friends following Jesus, but you'll gain a deeper friendship with Jesus which they can't replace. You won't spend eternity with them unless they also get saved. Know for certain that the commands of Christ are not fear-producing. The commands of Christ are not fear-producing. It's the reception point of us that's fear-producing. The commands are pure. The commands of the Lord are pure, the Bible says. They are confidence-giving. They're courageous. They're courage-giving. It's if I pour clean water on a dirty sponge, guess what messed up the water? The sponge. We're the issue, not the water coming down from God. God's pouring clean water, and if he pours enough, it'll clean the sponge. Isn't that great to know? Yeah. Let him clean the sponge. It's not the water coming down that's to be afraid of. It's us on the inside that's the problem. His commands are not fear-producing. We're the reception point. We're the problem. We're so flawed, and we're so flawed that we distort the commands of God into our own weaknesses, into our own preferences, into our own assumptions, into our own fears, and in, into our own self-made realities. And God's like, where did you get that? What planet did you get that self-made reality from? Well, the one I'm on. Right. <laughs> this is a wacky planet we live on. Fear will paralyze us, and fear will create all new problems. Fear doesn't solve any problems. It just creates new ones. We'll miss out on the blessing of God. That's why Joshua didn't say, here's how to work on your fear. He said, meditate on the word of God. He said, let God drive. Don't look to your right and left. Don't try and figure everything out. So many of us today, we try and figure every little detail. Stop trying to figure everything out and just follow the Lord. Pillar of Cloud by day, fire by night, just follow it. He's already said, I'm going to give you the land. Jesus said, I've come to save you, that you would be my disciple, that you'd have life more abundantly, rivers of living water. Let me ask you a question. Can Jesus be trusted? Can Jesus be trusted? If he says, I'm going to give you rivers of living water, is he lying or telling the truth? course. He's telling the truth. He says, I'm going to give you rivers of living water. I sometimes forget this promise. How about you? I do. I've been saved since 1995, and I sometimes forget this promise. And I'm like, oh, yeah. He's promised me rivers of living water. Peace that surpasses all understanding. If there's an issue, it's me, the sponge. I got to get under the faucet again till it's all cleaned out. 
course, Jesus backed it up on the cross, didn't he? He backed it up, didn't he? He said, I'm going to back it up with my blood. How about that? All the scriptures, the Lord is saying this, follow me fully, follow me fully. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, all the scriptures, follow me fully, follow me fully. Resist the fear, surrender and serve. That does not mean that Jesus will shield you and me from every trial. Nope. We're going to go through some rough patches. But he takes us through them, through them. You're going to get some fiery darts, but they're not going to be catastrophic. He'll bring us through them. Doesn't mean we'll have all the world's treasures, but we'll have him who's greater than the world's treasures. The question is, how will we respond to his call? How to his will for our life? How will we respond to his incredible love poured out on the cross? How will we respond to God the Father saying, obey my perfect commands. Walk in the Spirit, and you'll have joy in the obedience of it all. It all comes down to our response, whether we'll obey or whether we go another way. And I'll close with just a few thoughts on our only response. The essence of everything Jesus is asking is found in Mark 10, 21. Come, take up your cross and follow me. Mark 10, 21. Come, take up your cross and follow me. He said it to one man, but he said it to us all. Don't try and change the size of your cross. Don't try and change the shape of your cross. Don't try and shave it down and make it lighter. He just says, pick it up. Did you notice that? He didn't say alter it. He didn't say, well, take a few chunks out of it. He says, pick it up. Whatever cross I've given you, pick it up. Trust God to help us carry it. Trust God to help us go forward in the step. Trust God to help us be prospered and to make our way successful. Yes, the cross does mean death, but it means primarily death to our fallen flesh. That's a good death. We want that to die. That's the one that lies to us. That's the one that causes us fear. That's the one that causes us worry, causes us anxiety, causes us anger, causes us jealousy. That one we want to die to. Aren't you glad when those things aren't in your mind, you're like, whoo. That's a good area to die. For some people in, in the history of the church, it meant physical death. They really did get crucified. But they wouldn't trade it because they were with Jesus. Dying to our will is being alive to the will of God. Do we really want the will of God? Not just his permissive will, but all of his desired will. The desired will of God, we always have to first obey the word of God to walk in the will of God. Again, not what our eyes can see and what our experience tells us, but what he says. I was talking to another brother recently, um, and I believe this analogy came to my heart. I was talking to him over coffee, and this, this analogy came into my mind when I was just trying to convey to him what it means to believe the Word of God and to believe the will of God. And when I was on vacation with my family, I spoke of this several times to my own family, and I just want to throw it out. Suppose Jesus came to you with two offers. Again, this is just an analogy. Suppose Jesus came to you with two offers. One, I'll give you $10 million, and you have your place in heaven, and you can live the most wonderful American dream life as long as you do it morally well. 
All right? Not allowed to do things that, that scriptures clearly say is immoral. Just live a good, clean life. $10 million is yours, and you still have your place in heaven. Option two, I don't give you a million dollars. I give you zero, but you get to know me 100 times deeper than you currently do. Which would you choose? I can now say emphatically, God knows my heart. I would take knowing Jesus 100 times more over the 10 million. And no, I still have, as long as I have a little shack in heaven, I'm okay, right? A lot of people think that way. If you think that way, you do not walk in the Spirit. I can guarantee you that. To know Jesus three times more than I currently do would blow my mind. To know him a hundred times deeper. I, and I was telling my girls, I said, why in the world would we choose the $10 million? It's made of paper. He made trees. <laughs> why would we choose something he created? He's above all that stuff. And all that stuff that we do, a, a piece of cheesecake, a million dollars, it's always to satisfy an inward spirit thing that Jesus can satisfy that that stuff can't satisfy anyway. Amen. But if he offered that choice, like he did to Solomon, right? What do you want? Anything you want. What would we choose? The one who created it all is far greater than the stuff that we can see. It's all about, will we do what God says or what we can see. Amen? Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we just bow before you. We admit that so too often, maybe here this morning, we, in some measure, Lord, I believe we're probably all guilty at some level of trusting what we can see, what we experience, what we are experiencing, what we have experienced, what's rational, what's irrational, as opposed to what you have said. Lord, we want to live in the promised land. We want to be overcomers. We don't want to be vomited out by your mouth. We want to receive the blessing of dining with you and knowing you two times more, three times more, even, yes, Lord, maybe a hundred times more than we know you today. And the riches of knowing you with that kind of faith and that kind of joy, and that kind of peace, and that kind of love. But Lord, I pray that before we even take the Lord's Supper, you reveal to each of us, maybe even not everything specific, but that we would be honest enough, Lord, to say, it's not that we can't, it's that we have said we won't. And forgive us of our own excuses and rebellion, and our unbelief. Lord, you said that if we could believe, all things are possible. 